Hello, and welcome back to the Curious One podcast. My name is Emma Krebs. I created this podcast to be able to have conversations that were lacking through my daily interactions, as I always felt the longing to dive deeper. This space is for meaningful conversations that I hope help to broaden my perspectives and maybe even yours as well. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Curious One podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Bernard and Georgia from Central Village Housing. CVH provides a quality, sober living environment for women who are ambitious about recovery. Although Bernard and Georgia have not struggled with addiction themselves, they grew up around and witnessed firsthand the negative impacts it has on individuals, families, and communities. So back in 2015, they both decided to take the leap and transform their then home into their very first recovery home. Since then, they have not only opened an additional recovery home in Minnesota, but they also help individuals open and manage their own recovery homes as well. During this episode, Bernard, Georgia, and myself chatted about their personal experiences of being around addiction, the inspiration behind Central Village Housing, monetizing your passions, why they decided to begin helping other individuals open their own recovery homes, as well as the important role that recovery homes play within our communities, advice on working together as a couple in business, and lastly, how we can better support minority groups in their journey with addiction and recovery, and as always, so much more. If you are enjoying what I'm creating here on The Curious One, it would mean the world to me if you could share this episode with someone you think will gain value from it. As well, if you feel so inclined to leave a rating and a review on your thoughts of The Curious One, as it really helps to support my platform. All right, let's jump into today's episode. May you be inspired, may you be curious, and may you learn more about yourself as we learn about others. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone, because it's morning for me. I don't think it is for you guys. Um, so today I have joining me, I have Georgia and Bernard. And where are you guys located? It's somewhere in the United States, and I can't remember where. I apologize. Minnesota. Minnesota. Okay, okay, yes. cool. Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm like, I-, I love talking to people that like are not where I'm from. And I just, I, I love that the whole point of podcasting is we can collaborate with people from all around the world. It's, it's so exciting and to highlight different stories and perspectives. So I'm excited to chat with you guys today and let's just, let's just dive in. Can you both just share a bit of your perspective around, um, addiction and recovery? I know that you both didn't necessarily struggle with it yourself, but maybe what was your experiences with it, um, in the past before CDH? So for me, uh, like you said, I don't come, I, I never used uh, drugs or alcohol. Um, so that was never a big uh, vice for me. But with my family members, a lot, like 95% of my family, they do drugs or alcohol. So I came from a family where it was when like family functions and things like that, it was always like some fighting, arguing. It was just always, it was just always some negative that came out of the situation when it was supposed to be some positive. So by me seeing that, that made me not want to do uh, drugs or alcohol. And then that's how we, um, you know, I honestly, I never knew about what recovery housing was until 
20 plus years later and then we stumbled upon like what a recovery home was and that was my way to get back and try to um because a lot of people don't look at individuals like us who uh who don't do drugs they just think about the individuals in recovery which is a great thing but a lot of people who don't do the drugs it's a reason why they don't they seen that they probably seen a lot of stuff that they probably traumatized from though. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that was, that was a way for me to say, this is a way for me to get back and help individuals in recovery and show other individuals who don't do drugs that you can still help in that process as well. Mm. I, I love, thank you for sharing that. And I completely agree. Like I don't necessarily struggle from it, but like if someone's struggling with addiction and recovery, it's like a wave effect. They impact their circle, especially their immediate circle. And I found for myself, I really struggle to find resources at times for someone that's not actually struggling with addiction, you know? And so I did a previous episode where, um, with a recovery coach who supports family members or loved ones of those with addiction. And so again, and I can't speak I can only speak from my perspective and I'm the same as you guys. I don't, I don't struggle. I'm very fortunate where I don't struggle with that myself. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing Bernard. What about you? Georgia? So um, I was a child of a, a in a household where uh, the parents struggled with uh, alcohol. Mm-hmm. So growing up with that being in the house was like, okay, you know, every day living it, seeing it. Um, it just, it was, I mean, that is one of the reasons why I don't drink now, like as a teenager, early teens, of course, you know, I would drink and things like that, but it was just something that I did during that phase, but it was just like, I can't do it because it's just, I mean, there's just so many natural consequences that come with it, you know? Um, and I did not want to be that person. I didn't like looking at that person who, who struggles with drugs and alcohol. So as I got older, uh, having kids at an early age and having a son turning 15, 16, like I'm on top of the world. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. It's like, okay. So, um, it just was, uh, like, no, not at all. Like I am, I don't want to say like, I'm against drugs and alcohol. Cause that I I'm just not like, like, I'm just totally against it, but it's just something that I don't want around me. And if I'm able to help of uh, the people around me, you know, of course i like don't want drugs and alcohol use like that around me just because like Bernard said it is it's traumatizing especially when I'm still you know having people close to me that was still struggling with um, alcoholism you know Mm -hmm. so um that's why when it was brought to our attention like have a recovery house it was like okay um one in our in our community the black community it's not like you'd be like, go to treatment or what is treatment or like, you really don't know what treatment is itself. You just, you have an uncle, you have somebody in your family who's either drinks or drug or do drugs. Like that's just uncle Bill over there. That's just uncle Tony over there. Like he's the family person who drinks or is do drugs, but it's something that is hush hush. We don't say it outside the house. Nobody knows what's going on inside your household. So even growing up, I didn't know like what treatment or anything was. So when my son got involved he actually got pulled over and had paraphernalia in the car. Okay, now I know what treatment is. Now he has to do, he's mandated to go to these diversionary programs when he don't have this on his record. So it's like a rule 25. He has to do treatment. He has to do this. It was like a lot of different stuff. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know what all this was. But I knew at the time he was a minor and I, 
since he didn't have a record, I couldn't like send him, there was nothing to help him go somewhere because he's not like required mm. to serve time or anything. And there's places that he's not, he's just going to walk out. Like he's rebellion against me, you know? He don't care what anybody says, you know? So it's like, dang, if there would have been a place at that time that he would go to, that would have been great, you know? So when we found out about the uh, recovery housing, it's like, oh, we're providing a home. This is perfect because maybe people who look like me, it's such a shameful thing to like, to be caught out as a person who struggles with drugs or alcohol. They don't want to go to court. A lot of times when I talk to people now, when I'd be like, well, it was, it's, it's great that your father, your mother was able to go to treatment. They're like, yeah, because it was, they made them go to treatment because it was involved with like the police and, you know, getting mm-hmm. pulled over. Otherwise that's not an option, but it's like, it's great to have a place that seems like it's more welcoming than a forced option for treatment or jail or a halfway house where a person wants to come to. Mm. So that's what we was like, this is great because we definitely don't want to look like we're authority figures or we're trying to tell somebody how to live their life or anything. So it was a perfect fit for us because we're like, we just have to provide a welcoming place. We could do that. You know, like we're good. We're cool. We people are down to earth people. We can get along with people. And we definitely don't ain't trying to be nobody's mama, daddy, or nobody. We don't like to police people, you know? So it was just perfect for us. And I work in background working with people. And sometimes it's just like, you have that until that person's ready to make a change, it's not going to happen. So it don't matter where they go to. So it's like, this Mm -hmm. is even a different setting because a person wants to make the change. They're not forced to be here. So it was the the best fit for us. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you for sharing. It's, it's so true because it's, it's unfortunate because I can imagine it seems as though like you have to go to either rock bottom to get help. And it's this extreme thing, or like, there's no, just like this in between and like your son's 15. He's not like, he's not going to be classified as a full-blown addict. So it's like, well, but also too, I don't want to perpetuate this behavior, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the, and I think this is why I I was excited to talk to you guys. and, And I was, I was, interested in doing this episode is because yeah you guys aren't like these authority figures and this is what this is what I want to highlight is just like how can we be individuals in our community in our society that just support one another and just to be more aware of different experiences that people have etc like we don't need to go to a formal education or have a specific title we can just be us and help someone else so yeah So you guys run CVH, which stands for Central Village Housing. What is that? Um, we've kind of touched on it now, so I can imagine people have gathered what it is. And what was the inspiration? You've shared a bit more, but like what really got you to sit down and be like, okay, hey, we're actually going to make this a physical uh, thing, like an actual thing? Well, it was a few things. So we was... so. We was together. We're trying to plan a marriage. We're like starting a new life together. But we worked overnight jobs. We was always working and just didn't know what, you know. So it's just like having our own baggage from previous relationships coming to the table. We met each other in college uh, in business management classes. Um, and we was like in our late 30s going to college. <laughs> I love that. I, I honestly, though, I fucking love that. <laughs> so yeah, so we met. So we're like, okay, we're just sitting there like we don't know what really to do because we're like, okay, we're working long hours. Like I've been telling people like, it's just weird because I'm like, we'll see each other like once or twice a week dating mm-hmm. because I'm working overnight, two jobs. He's working overnight, long hours, running his own business. 
it was just a weird combination of us being together. Um, so we just was sitting there like we wanted to do something different. We had a house that was it outgrew us. And it's like maybe if we downgrade some of our expenses, I could not work two jobs because I was just struggling. We was just like just trying to have this lifestyle and this house was just too big for us. It was a, a five bedroom house. So when I was thinking like, oh, we'll rent it out. I really don't want to rent it out. I just don't want people to come in this house. They're stainless steel. It's nice. I just I just can't imagine somebody coming into my house just jacking it up. Like, oh, I don't want that. So I was talking to my sister and I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. I just, like the house is too big. I don't need this space. I don't go in the basement at all. Only to do laundry. It's just, it's just not useful for us to have this in this uh, payment anymore. And she said, well, what about uh, sober housing, recovery housing? Well, it was that end of like sober housing. We just started using the term recovery housing a few years ago. Uh, so she told us about it. So I talked to Bernard about it. He's more of the business mastermind. So I'm like, that's great. I have this background in transitional housing. I worked at halfway houses. I worked at Earth Facility, Adult Foster Care. I can run a house. I know how to do that piece. But we was like, recovery. Oh, we don't know much. Like, I can't even, I'd be like, what's that drug called again? Is it called this or is it called that? Like, I really don't know much about like drug use. This is like drugs are not good. That's my education around it, you know, at that time. So um, Bernard, he just, I told him that I do. And you go from there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she, she just told me about the idea, just did the research on it. Um, and it just made sense to do because it was helping people. Um, and it was also just, um, it was another business too, though. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is um, when you open a recovery home, sober homes, it is a business to it too. And there's nothing wrong with getting paid for it, for your expertise in the field, in any field that you tap into. Uh, but we don't really focus on the money so much per se. Uh, we focus on just being a part of the community where we able to help people, uh, help people when they get out of treatment, help our family members if they ever decided that, that they want to move into a sober home or recovery home, anything like that. So after we did the research, it just made sense to do. Um, we, you know, we turned, we had a five, it was a five bedroom, but it really wasn't a five bedroom. We had to add egress windows and it was just a lot of stuff that we had to add to it though, just to make it where the home would be real welcoming for everybody who moved in. Um, so once we got everything done like that, we, uh, we named the business Central Village Housing. We provide quality recovery housing for women and we have, we got a couple houses that we, uh, we got 20 women in the houses, though. We got 12 at one house and eight at another home. So um, it was a great opportunity. We're glad we stumbled upon it. And um, we just here to show everybody else that they can do it as well. Right. So even getting people to move in, it was just like all new. So when we was like, oh, the housing, like I said, now we're not a program. So um, even though I had that background experience, like I know like cosmetically and like what's needed and how documentation and structure um like creating our we have to create a policy you know it's what we're a person-centered uh home you know everything's different for everybody so that has been the fun part like learning people and there's not just these boundaries you know like yeah we're able to have a personal conversation with our residents you know i mean we have our of course personal boundaries and stuff but it's way different from me going to a 
clocking in and I can't say this, I can't do this, I can't da 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 da. Or to be like, no, that's like, I'm able to call my residents out and keep it real with them, you know? Mm-hmm. And like be myself. And versus when I worked at these uh, program and facilities, so it's real, a real genuine uh, relationship that we have with our residents there. And they're like, it's a second family. And it's just not like, it's not like work, you know, like it's, 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 a, it's hard to explain, but it's just way different from my experience that I had prior to coming. No, totally. I, I totally get what you mean. Like there's, there's a genuine, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what I mean. Cause what you mean? Because I've never like physically done that, but I just mean, I know when I'm working at a job and you're just feeling the time. And then when you have like genuine connections with people, like yes. it's just such a beautiful thing. And for both people, you know, for right. yourself, but also yeah. for the women living in your homes. And that's awesome. You have 20 people, but I can imagine you guys are impacting far more than 20 people, because as we said, one person, they always have, there's always people around them or they affect the community that they enter, that they go into, you know what I mean? So that's awesome. I'm that's great. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. So one thing that I, I know you guys mentioned, so before we talked to you guys, you guys have been on at least one other podcast, which I listened to. I don't know if you've been on more, but in it. And Bernard, you kind of mentioned it there of like, you guys have monetized such a positive thing. And I'm kind of um, going on a bit of a tangent, but it might transition into the next question. Um, I could imagine there would be some sort of like internal conflict of like, oh, is it weird that we're making money doing this? But I just want to touch on this because I think it's fucking awesome because I think that it's not wrong that you are monetizing that. And it's actually beautiful that you are running a business that's earning money that is actually adding value and like beyond just, just the money. Do you know what I mean? And I know you guys mentioned you're not doing it for the business, but at the same time, you got to pay your bills. And also too, right. though, if you can pay your bills in a way that you're passionate about, you can show up better. You can affect more people and create greater change. So like, was that something that ever kind of crossed your guys's mind of like, should we be making money from this or like how did you guys navigate that or was it because Bernard's very business oriented was it just straight <laughs> off the hop <laughs> now, I'm gonna be honest though um it, it started off as you know um that you know everything is just business though no matter how mm-hmm. you slice it to dice it though if unless you're just like a millionaire or billionaire where you can allocate somebody to you know pay them however much you're gonna pay them and you know you're not worried about taking the loss all the time so uh, so with us, it, it came off because it, we started because it was a business uh, and we can make money off of it. But then after learning it, learning and also build our relationship too for yeah. us to be able to. So it was like money helping people, but helping our us as you know, our relationship to be able to grow and bond with each other more. Yeah, because you were spending like no time together. As exactly. Well. Like, okay. Yeah. We're like we. This is not working. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And you Do know, I know you? Right, right. <laughs> and you know, to be honest too, um, that was I, I think that was one of the biggest things, the biggest challenges, even now when we coming down this path of I know we'll talk about it later, but just even releasing the e-course because it's a delicate situation. And so it don't want to seem like you trying to exploit no community or anything like that. But unfortunately, it is a business, and it's a lot of people making money off of the off of this, off of people in recovery and things like that. So you know, honestly, I never really like even talking about the money aspect, but now I know I have to, unfortunately, though. Right. And I think sometimes for me, um, and I'll have conversations with Bernard, too. It's like I think sometimes it's hard because we have people that's taking advantage of people. 
Mm. Like they're opening homes. They don't care what you do in mm. there. People's just doing anything right. um, in these homes. So it's just hard because it's like our reputation and our homes and our residents, it speaks for itself. Yeah. People yep. like, if you really want to, if you're serious about recovery, go to CVH, go to Central Village Housing because it's not that we don't play that, but it's like, it's a safe place for recovery. Like you're dealing with stuff. So we're not going to be like, oh, we're going to, you get a slide this time. You get, okay. Like we're keeping other residents safe. Mm-hmm. So we do, we're very mindful about having our structure and following our policies to the fullest, you know? But I think because there's so many people who are taking advantage of people in recovery and things like that, it makes it like, if we say money, people are like, oh, they just want money. They're just doing this for the money. So that's why it's just like, let's not mention the money. Yes, we have to get paid, but we truly provide way more than even what we receive, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're mm-hmm. still giving more out than what's coming in, which we're fine with that still, you know, because it's a bigger cause. Um, but there are people who are taking advantage of people. Mm-hmm. And that's hard because as you said, it definitely would affect like your reputation as well. And so it's great that we can share your story and really right. get that out there louder than these other people. But it's like, you know what? I, I don't know. It just think of every other business in consumerism. They are taking advantage of people, people that aren't, you know what I mean? Think about the cosmetic industry. They're making you feel bad about yourself so that you purchase their product. I think you like, I don't even I just wanted to touch on that because I wanted to highlight that, like, I don't think it's wrong. And I just want right. to put that contrast in of like, let's think about freaking like L'Oreal or something, you know, right. <laughs> if we're going to go down there. So right. <laughs> we mentioned there that you guys have started. Um, it's an e-course, but is, is it more so you guys are now, what did I write here? You guys are, I didn't really write anything specific, but you guys are now helping other people um, open their own recovery homes. Can you talk about like the inspiration behind that and kind of what that process looks like? Uh, well, before we actually started doing the e-courses, we was doing like more one-on-one consulting with individuals like in the Midwest, Minnesota, everything like that. But it was just getting so time consuming where we had, we was thinking of a different way where we can hit, where we can touch more people and spend less time with them. Because when, when you're doing that consulting aspect of it, especially when you're dealing with individuals who don't know anything about the recovery, you got to check their intentions. You got to, it's, it's just a lot of mm-hmm. questions that you got to ask them. And when, back then we was doing a lot of, a lot of work for people. We was helping them find the houses, sometimes managing the houses, dealing with treatment centers with them. It was just a lot of stuff that we was doing. So when COVID hit, um, we was just, we was looking for a way to uh, bring it on a wider scale level. And so and it was, so on one side, it was good that COVID hit, <clears throat> excuse me, because it gave us an opportunity to uh, sit down and really focus on writing everything out for the e-course and, you know, just put it on a platform where everybody can go purchase it um, and open up a recovery home in any city and state, though, because a lot of people, they don't know about recovery homes. And their biggest fear is, uh, do they got recovery homes in this state or this state? But they don't even know they house right next door to them might be a recovery mm-hmm. home. And they don't even know it, though, because it's no different. You don't know what a what a recovery home looks like, though. You know what I'm saying? Because they look like regular homes. They just look mm-hmm. like regular homes, though. So, um. That was our inspiration for we just wanted to get on a wider scale because we know there's so many other individuals out there who need help in all cities and all states, though, uh, for the recovery for people. Because just think about this, too. This is something we'll be talking about when COVID is over, when it's like 
you know, a couple of years down the line. Look at all the problems that we're going to be having in society with recovery. So we're trying to, our goal is to set up places where once this everything is over, everybody going to have places to go once they get out of treatment. Right. You know what I'm saying? Then for the individuals who want to turn into a business, they have the blueprint for success because we always say, we uh we did a we did a lot of stuff that made us uh not successful or I ain't gonna even say not successful where we it was just a lot of learning curves that we had to go through so we could tell everybody what they need to do and not to do in order to be successful. Right. And it's like wherever we go, people are like they're asking us 101 questions. <laughs> so now when people start asking questions, we're like, you know what? We have an e-course that's gonna answer all of those questions. You know, people will invite us to dinner and we're like. They're going to access. This is going to be a sober a recovery house conversation, you know. So now we're like, so now we're like, yeah, we come to dinner. <laughs> we get to they're like, dinner. we're like, you know what? You're going to want to get our e course. You know, <laughs> let's eat. <laughs> but everybody will always access these questions. So it's really having that resources for people, individuals to be able to just purchase this. They can see if this is even what they want to do. You know, like okay, sit on it for a year or two years. You know. If this is something you want to do, plan for it. Like you're able to do our e-course and plan for the future. You know, you don't have to be like us and get it open in five months. You know, I have a business person. I tell people I would still be having my dream of opening a recovery house if it was up to me still. Like I'm still waiting. I'm planning <laughs> still, you know. Um, so it's like just sit on it. This e-course is not to take action today. You know, it's really we talk about being mindful, planning the process, making sure your intentions are right, your intentions are pure, what that looks like. You know, tomorrow you're not gonna be rich, you're not gonna make all this money, you know, because it is about the service you provide for people. You know, you have to, it's a customer service business that you're in, and you have to be mindful and caring as well. So but if you got the ambition after you're done watching the e-course, you are able to just go out there yeah. and get started though. You are so able to. I, listen, I, I, my thing is I always try to look at it from both perspectives, the people who like on the fence who you know probably never invested before, and then those people who really solidified investors so once they see it they see the opportunity they know they want to help some help people and they see the the business behind it they it's a ready set go for them right mm-hmm. and one other thing not to add more to it so let me just say how the recovery housing works so a person will go to inpatient treatment mm-hmm. which is going to be 28 to maybe 60 days so after inpatient treatment which there it's like a locked facility you're kind of well it's not locked but you're literally like staying the night every day and you're not leaving you don't get passes to leave. So once you graduate graduate from inpatient you'll do outpatient. And outpatient is is intensive outpatient treatment. So you'll go maybe 3 to 5 hours a day. So what happens is that a person is going to outpatient treatment and then they're going back to the places where they're using or this bad behavior, bad environment. Well, not, I don't want to say bad, toxic, not good for that person. So recovery homes and treatment, IOP works hand in hand because a person is going to show up to treatment every day if they have a safe place to go to. If they're around like-minded individuals that's doing uh, recovery together, they're on this journey together, they're making new friends they're feeding off of each other, all that, those tools they put in their toolbox that they learn in inpatient treatment. So they're living with people that when I'm talking my, uh, some of the stuff I learned in treatment, other people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We understand this. We, we understand this communication, but when they go back home, they're not going to understand it. And it's just, is kind of like they slope back, they go backwards versus forward. So, and Outpatient treatment may last up to, you know, six months, seven months, eight months. So during this time, a person will be in rec- in a recovery home. 
and they just go back and forth, recovery home to treatment. So a lot of times when they're not a recovery home in place, the person a lot of times will relapse. Mm -hmm. They don't even make it through outpatient because they're like, I can't even go back because I got high. I'm stressed. All this stuff is still happening. I can't even focus on myself because everything is going crazy here. So what do I do? I go back to self-medicating. I go do something that try to erase and make me forget about all my uh, life happening. So then I start doing that again. So when people are going to outpatient, it really, really goes hand in hand with recovery housing. After the six months, a person when they graduate from outpatient, they still will stay in our recovery house. They still stay in the recovery house. So like in all reality, you would think that there should always be an option for a person who's an outpatient to be attending or to be going living in a recovery house at the same time, because that's really 100 percent. Well, not 100%, but a big percent that recovery is going to work. This journey is going to work because you have to have it's a high percentage. It's a high percentage. Yeah. Because people, of course, will relapse, but it's it's a lot less that a person will survive this journey if they don't have a safe place to go to. And some mm-hmm. people do have a safe place to go to during that process, you know. Mm-hmm. I think so. that's a really good point. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. I should have probably asked that sooner, kind of what that process looks like. So I'm really glad you shed light on that. And Bernard, I think uh, you also mentioned something earlier around like right now we're in a global pandemic and for myself at least, and like, I, we don't need to get too much into like COVID and things like that, people's views, but I know far more people that have been affected by it mentally and like their mental health than I have by the physical, um, like virus or disease, whatever. Right. Yeah. So Yeah. And, and, and I know like I'm friends with therapists and things like that. And at least where I'm from, like the, the call rates into like these call centers for mental health distress or like the, um, addiction rates, they, they, there is statistics to back up that they have heightened. And so I think that's a really great point that you mentioned that like, when we come out of this, it's not just going to be like back to normal, no repercussions. <laughs> we, I think it's going to be like, fuck, how do we clean up a bit of this mess in, in some areas such as mental health addiction, so yeah, yeah great point. Yeah. It's gonna be like the wild, wild west. <laughs> crazy out here, man. Yeah. So. Yeah. It it it's yeah. So so I think that's a, a really good point. Um, so something else that we we did like a call before. I always do calls with my guests prior. Um, and you had mentioned, I believe, trying to kind of like change the narrative. Um, and it seems to be just like foundational with who you guys are and how you guys speak around addiction and recovery. So what do you find a lot of maybe like obstacles that the women in your homes face or like the stigmas that they're being projected on or that are being projected on them around like them being addicts and in recovery? Well, I think for starters, I'm not going to say just the women in our house, just like recovery homes. The first thing they're like, they think when you think of a recovery homes are like a detox center or something that maybe people mm. get dropped off at, like that's not a recovery right. house. The people that's at recovery house are not the people in front of the liquor store. They're not the people on the side of the road. They're not, those are not the individuals that at this time that are looking for help or want to change their lifestyle. Um, even when we opened up our house, they're like, you're going to let them people move in. I'm like, who's them people? Mm. What people are you talking about? I'm not opening up a, like a homeless shelter. The neighbors. Yeah. No, but I'm saying they were saying them people talking about our residents. And we're like, this isn't uh you know, like, I don't know who you think we're moving in our house, but the people who move in our house is not going to be the people that you're thinking about, like the people on the corner. 
I don't, I don't know if they think they're just people with just criminal records or I'm not sure what they are really thinking the people are who's coming into recovery homes. But we have to tell people the people who are coming into recovery homes, maybe your uncle, maybe your mom, maybe your own child that wants to change their lifestyle. Well, it, you know, it's just like um, for people, how that, how I look at it anyway, and the people that I know, they have a bad, uh, they, they don't look at, they don't, they look at what they see as recovery is what they see on TV. Mm-hmm. So when you see all the people uh, just doing bad, they think that's, those the people that's going to be moving in the house. So you, we got to change that narrative on that per se, because if we don't change that na- that narrative as a whole, a lot of people won't come to recovery or they won't even think about opening up recovery homes because they think about all the negativity that they've seen on Netflix or whatever. whatever if you look at movies, you're going to see some of the movies where it's drugs and alcohol. It's going to be something bad that they're going to see about it, though. So it's our responsibility to change the narrative because that narrative is key, though. You know what right. I'm saying? And, um. Mm-hmm. And it's meeting a person where they're at. Maybe they have that, but right now, yeah. that right now, that's not what they're on. Yeah. That's not what they are. And best believe us, if they go back there, that's why we have a structured recovery house because we stopped right then and there. That person will leave the house. Like we, when I say we keep it safe, that's what I mean because people will relapse. People may do whatever, but it, it stops right there and they're going to continue that behavior outside of our house, you know? Yeah. A lot like, of people, that's not happening in the house. Well, many people who move into recovery homes, or at least in ours, a lot of them, many of them come from wealthy backgrounds. So it's definitely different from people who come out the jail systems or, you know, they're mm-hmm. standing in front of the corner store, you know, the liquor stores and things like that, though. Um, yeah, they come from all walks of life. They can have be teachers, lawyers, whatever it is, though. Um, but we 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 don't look at it from that perspective. Society look at it as just uh, just the people who don't have nothing. But we all struggle with this in all walk phases of life, though. Right, and a lot of the residents like, I'm here because I don't want to die. Mm. Like if I keep doing drugs or drinking, I'm going to die. I I value my life. I value my kids. I value my parents. I want to live. Like one of the biggest things that we hear from our residents is that I don't want to die. I'm here because I do not want to die. If I go back out there, I'm going to die. You know, it's just like they want their life back. And another thing is that being in the house, we see a lot of firsts. Like this is their first birthday of them sober. This is their first holiday sober. Like, wow. I couldn't be there for my kids because I was always I was out there real bad. But now with my grandkids, I'm going to my granddaughter birthday party. This is my first birthday party, even though she's turning eight. This is my granddaughter's first birthday that I'm showing up to, you know. So we have all these first things that are happening, you know. So it's like, okay, does the people who are enjoying their first things, do you think they're they're out here trying to rob stores and sneak and get high still? Like they're not. <laughs> destroying our property i remember we didn't want to rent it because we didn't want people to destroy our property you know we're mm-hmm. like uh we don't know what kind of people we're going to get in here they tell us one thing on this application who's to say what they'll be doing in this big old house having 10 families living here and having animals like we didn't know so that's why we chose that recovery part because we're like oh we're gonna have people who care about their home you know <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah 
And you guys are just like changing the narrative. Even just, I can imagine having these in the communities, even like the neighbors are going to be like, oh wait, yeah, these aren't just normal people or, and, and also to the people there, they're, they, they willingly want to be there. It's not like, as we talked about at the beginning where they're like forced to be in these, in these facilities or whatever it may be. So, yeah. Yeah. I think just you guys being you and being CBH, you guys are changing the narrative just, just by being who you are, you know? Yeah. Just, we just want to open it up on a more wider level though. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Minnesota, honestly, it's a good place for recovery. Mm -hmm. It's like the, it's like the home state for recovery. They say like AA started there and it's just, it's a lot of recovery homes up in the area. So our thing is to bring it where it's more outside of Minnesota. It's a lot of recovery homes outside of Minnesota too. Yeah, We need to put more attention on other states as well though. Mm. And just the option for people to be like, okay, go here, be around like-minded individuals. Because some people will tell you, if when I'm ready to stop, I'll stop. Okay, well, maybe since you're like really not into the treatment thing, maybe this house or wherever, whatever state that looks like will help you get there then, you know? Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to do it alone. So when you're doing it with people, like going on a running, you want more people with you, you're going to, okay, I can run this mile. So it's like that in recovery house. The more people that's like-minded and they hold each other accountable. They, uh, like if someone's feeling sad, they're like, come on, let's go. We're going to go do this today. You know, like they're not letting them sit in their sorrow or anything. Like so-and-so said she didn't feel good today. Let's, can you go check on her? We're like, yeah, of course, you know? So they're really holding, like they're cheering each other on for each other's recovery. Mm. So it's like, they like, to the residents there like they're so used to like no why stop don't do this don't do that you know so it's like it's when they're 30 days that's like a big big deal when someone's 30 days sober 60 days sober like it's so big you know and people's like just don't do it like no it's not that easy to just not do it so for people to be around and celebrate these achievements with them you know like they know firsthand how hard it is, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're sisters in the home. So having that extra cheerleader to be like, okay, come on, let's do this, you know, and not being judgmental because we know everybody has may step back, you know, um, but jump back up on it and get, get going again, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They all, they all kind of like speak the same language. So that similar yes. experience as well, which is huge. Yeah. Um, what has been kind of, and this this is kind of a broad question, so you can take it any way that kind of maybe just comes off the top of your head. But what's kind of the biggest lesson that you guys have learned since creating CBH? So that could be just personally, it could be about addiction, it could be about business itself, people. Well, like just just in general, though, for me, uh, just relaying it back to recovery, though, just how so many minorities just don't know what recovery is, though. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because when you come with different national, a lot of different national, well, just say what what white people, they know what uh, recovery is and, you know, things like that. They invest into it uh, when they figure out if they have a problem or their kids have a problem, they're going to go put them to treatment. They're going to they going to they going to walk them through the process, though. Now it's going to be up to them to make to see if they're going to succeed or not the individual. But a lot of minorities, we don't know what recovery is. We don't buy into the process. Um, like, like I always say, a lot of people think just because they, you know, they function, functional alcoholics or, you know, have functional do drugs or whatever it is, opioids or whatever, smoke weed, crack, whatever. They think just because they functional or to work and everything like it's okay. But mm-hmm. in reality, it's not, though. You still have a problem. Like I always say to myself, we always 
one thing away from jumping over the bridge. So, so we got to be careful, especially when we're doing, when we got something in our body that's pushing us a different way though. So, uh, that's my biggest thing that I'm seeing right now. It's just, it's just not a, a lot of minorities who understand the importance of recovery or the importance of going to recovery homes to get their mentals back together. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, for me, um, I guess it's like, I mean, I, I just truly just literally, I've always been that way, but really never judge a book by its cover mm-hmm. and really meet a person where they're at. Just, always meet a person where they're at and maybe I have to do more listening than talking because maybe a person may not be able to really say what it is they need but if it's in between the lines you know so really try to pay attention to the different um women who I'm in contact with daily but really meeting them where they're at meeting them where they're at and reminding everybody else we meet people where they're at they're not where you're at everybody's at different places you know what worked for one don't work for the other but really meeting them where they're at. You know, my dad always says, I have all these daughters. I love you all the same, but I show it differently. Mm-hmm. So I still stay within policy, but like certain people, you just may have to kind of show it a little bit different and meet to meet them where they're at, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like really working on that. Like, okay, for this individual, this is how I, I could respond to her this way. And it's going to help more for herself, you know? So really just trying to, pay attention and meeting everybody where they're at. That would definitely take experience working with people and in recovery (laughs) homes. I could imagine that's definitely a strength that you have. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to ask this question. We, again, we touched on this when we first talked, you guys work together and you are a couple and that was part of why you started the business. But like, I could imagine it's a bit difficult maybe to turn off the business side of things or to turn off the relationship side of things at times. So I just wanted to know, do you have any advice or tips for other couples that are either working together, running a business together, or just working really closely together? Yeah, I just think um, even like, I'm just giving this advice and this something that even me personally, I, I still struggle with, but you just got to figure out that balance between everything. You know, you can't go all the way on this side or all the way on this side though. So you just gotta, if you know that you finna get into the, get into any business together though, you just gotta, you gotta say, okay, we only finna work from this time to this time. And uh, this is our time every day. You know what I'm saying? You gotta mm-hmm. just figure out something where it's, where it's a balance in between it though. And you probably also gotta figure out something where you can have that one-on-one time with yourself too. Though. Right. Cause that's oh, yeah. the biggest thing though. If you don't got the one-on-one time with yourself, and do stuff that you like to do and you always because you you consume with somebody just say 24 hours a day so you you got to figure out on a weekend if y'all got if you got to go out with some of your friends or go you you just got to figure it out where you just don't get so consumed with that one individual because you it start getting frustrating though yeah yeah very (laughs) frustrating and we we're pretty good at it like well we will sit in the house at like I'll stay watch TV in the living room. He might watch TV in the bedroom. We don't have to watch. We don't like the same TV shows a lot, you know. So we really try to keep our space. And because when we met, we didn't ha- we wasn't like under mm. each other. We still like it's good to know he's in the next room versus us sitting under each other. Like I wanted to see him a lot more. You know, that's how we went into business with each other. Now it's like, whoa, wait a minute, you're here every day. I'm here every day with you. <laughs> but you know, I had to make a run today. So I'm like, oh, I can come with you. No, nope, I'm gonna enjoy this ride by myself. <laughs> it's okay. I don't like driving, but I just 
need this hour drive just to myself, just not to talk about nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. So just really having that balance. I have strengths and weaknesses. I bounce. If he has a, a strength, then I let him. I'm like, that's my weakness. You take care of that. You tell me how we're going to handle that. So really playing off our strength and weaknesses to be like, you got this, you got this, and you got that. Mm. So I don't, we don't try to be in each other's, even though it's our business together, we have certain roles we play. Yeah. Like, don't have me do it. I don't have us all jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I think it's so, that is something that myself, at least, like I got caught up in, in, in my own relationship of just like, you lose that relationship with yourself. And I think once that goes, that's just like, that's the foundation of things as well. So I right. love that you guys acknowledge that, but I could imagine it would be hard as well, since the business that you guys are in, you seem quite passionate about it as well. So I'm sure you enjoy doing the work, you enjoy talking about it, but at some points you do have to be like, okay, I'm really excited to talk about this, but we're eating dinner or like, we're going on a date. We're not going to talk about this now. Let's talk about other things so right right yeah I was gonna say when uh-huh. I he like in the, I, I'm a morning talker so we have this rule like he has to be up for like 20 30 minutes before I could talk to him okay because <laughs> I would be like hey baby and he's like I'm like okay like let me wait until Addy brushes his teeth and start moving around like I'm gonna go write this down because if I start talking to him like I'm still sleeping I'm like but your eyes are open I don't want to forget this so now I'm like just patiently wait for him to start his day before I start talking. You're like a coffee ready. You're like morning. Right. That's me. He don't play that. So now I'm just like, great. I'll just sit in the living room until he wakes up. <laughs> Did you guys like, you, you mentioned how you guys kind of play off each other's strengths. Did you always kind of like know what your strengths were and like Bernard knew what his strengths were or did you guys ever like do anything to like any activities together or like maybe just like sit down and be like, I'm really good at this. I'm not so good at this. Or like, did it just kind of naturally fall into place that? I think a little of both. Yeah. Like, I think a little bit of both. Like for sure, like our finances and bills and stuff, he's best. He's the best person. I'm like, don't give me a checkbook. Don't give me a car. Don't give me nothing. <laughs> he was like, he let me do it. Like, yeah, so I'm thinking I'm going to um, take over this. I'm like, huh, what, why? He's like, do you really want to know? I'm like, no, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but there's certain things when we're talking, he'll say, okay, like I'm going to take the lead in this. Cause I know, I think this, and I'm like, okay. Or I'll have to say, baby, I know what I'm talking about. Like we mm-hmm. have to go with what I'm saying now, cause this is my strength. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I think yeah, that's true. Um, I just think sometimes too, when you're doing business with somebody, you don't might even like, it's just a lot of stuff with me. I know probably with her too. Yeah. I know I can. I want to go harder in, but it's just, um, you just got to let everybody just be who they is though. You know what I'm saying? Like for me, just if, in just certain business, I always just took different approaches, different things though. But when you, when you're dealing with somebody who you, who you love and married to and you know, things of that nature, you just got to be more cautious though. Mm-hmm. But if it was my friend or somebody like that, I'd be a thousand more times more direct than you know, we, <laughs> we ain't doing that though. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and communicating I guess like that yeah, would help yeah. too as well as you you mentioned like hey I'm I'm good at this I'm going to take the lead as well yeah 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 <laughs> thank you for sharing that um yeah. I, I found it super valuable because it's something that I think 
would be on the cards for me in the future. So I love talking to couples that work together. I'm like, how does this work? I, I want to know <laughs> because I, I could see how there could be so much, um, there could be a lot of struggles, but I could also see there'd be such payoff, you know, to like be there together and be like, we did this together. That'd right, be a, yeah. An amazing yeah. feeling for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it definitely it's just is. the balance, just the yeah. balance. <laughs> Um, the next one I want to ask you, it's kind of, I kind of asked a similar one, but I'm curious if, since you created CBH, has your perspective around, um, addiction or recovery, has it shifted at all, or has it changed anything surprised you, or did you kind of almost reaffirm everything you already knew or believed about it? I didn't know. I mean, it shifted because I really didn't know nothing much mm. about it. You know, I mean, mm. I almost thought that you're able to like, I guess I thought like you could just say no to drugs, you know, Yeah. like you don't, you know, like there's so much more like you could just like, it wasn't like a, a sickness, you know, it wasn't like the, your mind is being taken over by these chemicals you're putting in your body, you know, yeah. just because I'm able to be like, no, you know, like, no, it's not that. And learning just more different stuff to be like, Whoa, I, I thought it was cr- not like, it was kind of wild, but I'm like, I only knew a tiny tiny, tiny bit of just drugs, alcohol, recovery, addiction, and things like that. So it's opened my eyes to be like, what? Wow. You know, we're reading an article about a new um, type of THC type substance, Delta eight or Delta nine. Like what the heck is that? You know? So now we're like reading on more and more stuff all the time, just to be like, what's going on? You know? Yeah. I think, um, yeah. Like Joyce, I really, I didn't know nothing about it. I just know about, yeah, nothing. <laughs> um, so I, one thing I, I learned though, this, the whole process is how much of a business that it is though, just all across the board though. Yeah. Like, like when you win it though, you can see how treatment centers, they making X amount of dollars, uh, These people getting paid to send them to treatment centers, making X amount of dollars, recovery homes, making X amount of dollars. You got the places that sell these coins, yeah. 50, a hundred dollar coins yeah, it, for it, their one month, two month, three month, four month. They're like, what? Yeah. All these different books. It's a, it's a big business though. And wow. I was like, one thing, like we always tell people like when they open their recovery homes or like, like we said earlier, I've never really wanted to talk about the money aspect of it, though, until recently. But now I talk about it all day just due to the fact that the money that we do make, it's a fraction of what these other people make, though. We like mm-hmm. at the, the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to the money that they might make $150,000 a month, though. And we might make just, I don't know, $10,000 a month or whatever it is, though. But it's you. That, yeah, I just didn't ever know how big the business was in, in the whole recovery field. Or how many people are using drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Like, you I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think of it. Like, honestly, until I talked to you guys, I didn't really realize how much of a, of a business it was. I always thought it was just like government run programs, at least where I am. We have public health care in Canada. You know what I mean? I didn't realize it is a business. But I can imagine, even though we have public health care here, there, there is private businesses, et cetera, that make the money. Even big- it's a big uh treatment center. I mean, not a treatment center, recovery home out there. I think they they somewhere in your area close to Toronto. I forget where they at though, but mm. uh they they charging like twenty five, thirty five hundred dollars a month per person. Wow. So it's a big business nationwide, mm. worldwide. Mm-hmm. On a on another note, like um I live right really close. So my city just opened a safe injection site and um, 
I don't know too much about it, but as a person that lives within like three blocks from it, I've kind of gathered, and I don't know if this is accurate, but they just facilitate the drug use, but they don't do any further support. So it's really caused a lot of, um, I don't know what word to use, but it's just like businesses are, are closing down. There's a lot of unsafety in the area. And I live like in a central, like safe area like it's quite central but um it's just been interesting to see the shift and so I think that's also what kind of like really skyrocketed me into like this whole interest into like talking about addiction on the podcast and so um I love talking about people that create bigger support around addiction and also just like learning more about it um I don't know why I mentioned that but I just I think it's interesting because I know in a in a city that's like a bit further from me they have a safe, safe injection site but they have like um you can go and like stay there overnight more like I think it's like what is it like Norway or something that they started this whole thing of the safe injection I don't know yeah, I'm not sure okay yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's harming people and that was one of the things too this is harm reduction so we're mm-hmm. gonna decrease your usage you know to keep you safe so when we I work that place it's like how about you don't do crack cocaine and meth just pick mm-hmm. one to do do you have you know and it's just like when people start putting these drugs in them they're like a whole different person like mm-hmm. it's just so I get like okay we may not get them in recovery but we can lower it step by mm-hmm. step you know and I'm not saying I'm against it or not I think the less ones you do is great but being around anybody who's using drugs that has you delusional hallucinate you think you're being attacked by one of my residents like it's like you're in a hunted house being attacked by people that's how when I'm mm-hmm. coming down so like she would always fight with her boyfriend and because she's thinking she's being attacked by somebody in the haunted house. And it's different for everybody. So it's like, I support it. We don't do harm reduction in our house because it's just like, it's almost still inviting people, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's a so, whole other thing I could imagine. A whole other Yeah. Thing. So that harm yeah. reduction pieces, yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard to speak on it, but yeah. I know. I guess like the last thing I say, if I do even keep my random tangent in there is just, it's hard to witness that these people are getting, yes. Okay. Maybe they are getting lesser drugs. They're getting safe drugs in a safe space to do it. And maybe it is reducing overdose, but I just, I, I see as a person that lives in the community, they aren't getting further support. So like someone's exactly. high and they're like sitting on a street corner, running into the streets and like there's, yeah. there's children around and he's like, that the businesses, they have all these people like sitting on, I don't know. So it's just hard. It, it, if they were getting support, it would be a different story. It's always hard because that's that whole business piece. You have these organizations. I worked at them. You could do drugs outside of here, but not on here. So even though we do drug tests and we know that you have fentanyl and all this stuff in your system, as long as we don't find drugs on you, it's okay. So leave the property to get high because if they put something about abstinence or not doing drugs, they're not going to get money because people are going to, you know, yeah. do these drugs. So it's like, oh, okay. Because uh, when people do drugs in our home, they will transition to another place. So of course, then our money stops, you know, and that's one mm-hmm. of the, our difference. When people start mm-hmm. doing unsafe activities, our money stops. These other places, it's like, yes, come on, come, you know, like I said, it's to each his own, but it's like, you got to keep that money coming in. So harm reduction it is, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and people are still true. dying from that. And it makes the community unsafe now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would be hard. And you got to stay true to like yourself and your rules as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to close out with one final question. And um, I kind of prefaced it at the beginning. I'm curious what your perspective is on how society, how do you think that society could better support individuals on their journey through recovery or even those that are going through addiction? 
So it's hard to say one, because the world, okay. So we we're in Minnesota, right? Mm -hmm. So George Floyd, Oh, he had drugs in his system that, that, you know, so it's just so hard because in reality, it's just like society looks at white and black people, people of white or non-white people different when they use drugs. When you're white and use drugs, you have a problem. You need help. When you're black, you're a criminal, mm. you know? So it's just hard me being a black woman to even say, cause it's, it's different when you, depending on who's using the drugs, mm. it's really different upon my view on that whole piece of it. But just in general, I do think people need to know that. Um, yes, there's it's in videos and it's a new cool thing that people are like we're popping pills or we're sipping on scissor up or these different like you see it everywhere. You know, it's like, what the heck? But it really is. a It's a sickness. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a sickness. Like it goes hand in hand sometimes with that mental health piece. You know, like people are trying to figure out how to self-medicate different things like that. Um it's just, I mean, and it's dangerous, you know? So, I mean, I don't even know how to answer the question. I just, I'm just so, you know, like I said, it's just so confusing because it depends on who it is using the drugs, what, what color your skin is for that person using it for what society feels about them. Some people it's a sickness, some people that's just because you just want to do it, you know? But at the end of the day, I, um, I don't know. I mean, I just think, um, everybody got to spend more marketing on treatment, uh, like on, the importance of recovery though um one thing georgia said too it is it is a big difference between black and white though or minorities and white whatever the situation is just due to the fact that um some communities they want to they don't even know they think that the shit is cool but in reality it's not whatsoever but we got this community where they do it they think it's cool but they come from a place where they know they if they if they don't die in the process, they know that they family going to put them in recovery, though. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so because they got people around them who got the knowledge and, and, and even the finances too to put them in in certain places, too, though. Like that's one thing, too. When you get into recovery homes, that's the reason why it's a big population of white people in it is because you're going to be paying for it. So like our housing fees is six fifty to seven fifty per month. And that's on the low end. Some of these recovery houses is charging thousand to five thousand dollars a month though. So a lot of people can't afford the six fifty to seven fifty rooms. So it comes down to economics, it comes yeah. down to uh, the whole marketing, it's come down to these treatment centers marketing towards uh more people of my minority descent. It come down to uh, even us getting speaking to more minorities, letting them letting them know the importance of going to recovery. Though it's just a lot of stuff that we got to do to change the stigma on it and put a lot of more importance on it instead of just always looking at it from a a, a business aspect of it. Though and only going after one audience as well. Mm. So then, okay, I want to I want to expand on that. And and if it's too big of a question, and if it's going into a a whole different thing like please let me know but like maybe specifically to these minority groups how can we better support these these minority groups because it is true like you guys said the narrative has always kind of been spoken to these like more privileged um more affluent uh, communities so is there anything that we can do overall to maybe like educate ourselves further or but to really hit these minority group, groups like even like is there ways that we can support you guys to get your message out further I don't know. I don't know if that's too broad of a question or. 
So I think one thing too, just from a a, a, a standpoint of just helping more minority people, they got to hire minorities. You know mm. what I'm saying? When you get into these treatment centers or even these soap recovery homes, though, when you don't have nobody up in there, like just say with our house right now, we got we got 12 people up in there. Uh, just say now nah, out of 20 people, we might, I'm saying this is a high number for us now. We probably got two or three black women in our house. And that's a, that's a, that's like the highest we ever had it though. Three. You know what I'm saying? Three, three but it, it, for our first couple of years, we, we was running hundred percent white people, which is, I ain't nothing wrong with it though. I'm just, you ask me the question, I'm just telling you the question yeah. how it is though. So I just think you just, we got to hire people, got to hire more other people of other races so, so because when people come in there and they don't have nobody who they can identify with, that's always going to be a problem. You know? So when we come in, just say me and you, we can talk, but our relationship can only go so deep, though, because it might be if you might not went through the same path you or you might not have a relationship. You might just say me and her. Even like our, we're different. Yeah, we different. We're totally different. So our different. relationship just don't stop. Yeah, it stops. Place, you know what I'm saying? So when and we from, you know, a same race to uh per se but we grew up way different yeah grew up way different but when you don't got nobody with the race and who you can identify with it just make it it make it harder though and they one thing that we always say they forgetting about a whole different target audience out there so if you running at 100 percent capacity at a treatment center if you go after different minority groups you're gonna be running that man you have to open up another treatment center because it's gonna be an overflow of people coming in but we just so uh I know, yeah, we just, we only want to deal with one group of people. And that's the frustrating part about everything too. Like we, yeah. yeah. And I think it's just because um, like, it's just, I, and like, I've never been to treatment, you know? So I don't know what a day in IOP is. I don't know what a- But you've been to a sober house. No, but what I'm saying is that when you go to treatment, like if they're like, we, what are you talking about? You know, like, this is not, what you're saying is it's not- clicking anything in my brain to want to stop using drugs or alcohol. Like I, the way you're teaching it to me is not like some people are hands on some people's reading treatment still needs to be different way that it's delivered, you know? So like I said, I never been there. So I don't know. Yes. In our recovery house, it's different. We're meeting people where they're at. Um, like this is who this person is. This is like, be yourself still, you know, we still have to tell people like they're, it's, it's not intimidating. It's they're being direct. They're not mad at you. Denise, she's just loud. You know, that's just how Denise is. So it's just um, really being able to deliver treatment for that because we have people who go to treatment, black women, they're like, I can't, like, I can't even sit in this class. I don't even know what they're talking about. Like I'm falling asleep. It just isn't catching anything to make me want to sit here. I don't care if they're paying majority of my housing fee. I can't sit in this class. I'd rather go get a job because it's, I guess maybe it's like, you're not doing anything. So I feel like I'm just wasting my time, you know? So it's not registering in their brain versus giving them something that they have that understanding of something, you know? Um, and I, like I said, I don't know if it, what treatment's based on, you know, when people process stuff, people's in the group processing, well, it's kind of a little different. Like, I don't want to sit in a group and have everybody crying and whining, like, let's talk about this or let's do it a different kind of way, you know? So I think it just has to be delivered different ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for answering that. I, I appreciate it. The thing that you can do for us too is just, uh just promote the uh the sober house and the e-course and just let them know like this is for everybody uh for all we we take all money from all different color people everything you know so we love everybody but <laughs> you just we just asking the questions though man and one thing too in this field though like this are you know 
it's one thing about this field, to be honest, too, is the toughest part is when you got to compromise yourself to a certain degree because, oh, you're just too, like, even I don't even go to a lot of treatment center, uh, dealing with a lot of treatment centers no more because you can be saying something and you can feel like it's 100% right, though. But, oh, you, you just said it too harsh. Like, harsh to who, though? But, and that's our that's some of our background, our differences. I'm going to be more mindful. I will say stuff way different. I just try to be in the mind frame of tra- being trauma-informed. And that's where how we're different. Like, I have different backgrounds on trauma-informed care and different things like that. So when you don't have that experience, that education piece, or that skill set on how to talk to people so you're not triggering pulling any traumas, triggering any traumas, you know. So that's some of our differences though, you know. Yeah, it's but, not us not being ourselves, it's a training I'm using called trauma-informed care yeah. to be able to communicate with people. So it's, I'll give you one example, right? Though so we in the room, we we at this treatment center, it's like probably about 50 people up in there. We the only black group up in there, right? So they so the treatment center, they just going around, they invited all the good recovery homes up in their owners da, 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 da. so they're asking questions so what do you think you got we, we can change and make it better i said i think y'all you guys need to raise up the housing fees so they because there's some people they pay up the they pay 550 of whatever you charge them the housing fees so i said i think you guys need to raise up the housing fees it's been the same price that you guys been paying for you know for the last couple of years though and nobody responded they just looking at me like i'm crazy now a couple years later, now they all want to get on board. I'm like, I don't even got the energy for that no more. But a lot of times, whatever you say, people are like, thank you. Thank you. Like they, they're happy mm-hmm. when Bernard's in the room because everybody, because it, people's just like, oh, you know, and Bernard, he will come and he asks those uncomfortable questions. Mm-hmm. And it's not even uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to you. Like this is our, this is what we do. So you always have to ask those things. But no, and then after the fact, people will call us like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like, why did you say yeah, yeah, yeah after you said it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, and then, but we say Minnesota nice though. We're in Minnesota too, you know? And that's why when I say we're different, he's from way, like I'm born and raised in Minnesota. So it's like, we do do things a little bit differently. He's like, I'm jumping to the front of the line. We're not going to beat around the bush and have small conversation. This is what it is. And that's when I'd be like, you could do the talking in this conversation because that's his strength. He gets right to it. And like, I want answers and I want this. And what does this look like? And I want follow through when I'm going to hear back from you. But, you know, so but that is good that you are that way. <laughs> yeah. But I was just going off. <laughs> I was no, just I going, love it. <laughs> yeah, I was just going off, with, you know, the, what we need to do just in general. Though, but yeah. yeah it's it and I get what you mean of like um Georgia you're saying that people are happy when Bernard says because yeah sometimes people are too scared to say that or to have the hard conversations of difficult conversation or ask the hard questions but at the same time we're all thinking it you know and you guys have the courage to like sit in that uncomfortability and you're like we don't even feel uncomfortable it's all also too like that's on you if you feel uncomfortable right. I'm from Canada too so it's like this Minnesota nice thing I'm like that is relating here like <laughs> everyone just beats around the bush it's like fuck just get to the point right, right, I, right, I hate right. it yeah, I respect I it, it. <laughs> so, so like, but it's like, like what people don't understand too like so when we like now we're doing all the zoom calls with everybody like so but people don't understand how hard it is when you on a phone call with a hundred different people from different nationalities or, and you're the only one from your nationality. So anytime you say something, they're going to be like, yo, this person, why they, they crazy or why they saying, it's just a whole mind frame that you got to go through. But I don't care. Like I, 
one thing I always say, if it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And I think a lot of stuff that I say, like, I think it's right, though, because it's going to benefit everybody involved, though. It's, it's not just going to benefit us. It's going to be- benefit everybody who own recovery houses who making money, though. And if you don't want to make money, I don't know what to tell you. Right. And that's another thing, because when we say people that look like us is not in treatment, well, people that look like us are not running recovery homes. Like, you do have them. So, of course, we're still sitting in rooms and we're like the only black people running recovery homes you know there may be a few and so it's like we're no different from the person in treatment we're just like yep so people look at us we're young and we're black you know it's like so of course when bernard opens his mouth people look at him like what is he you know like you say this at a meeting like why can't we say this at a meeting you know like we're here to ask questions so we have that pushback as well, though, you know, like we sit in rooms and so we could only imagine what it's like for our residents, mm. because it's not, I'm not going to say have a party, but we, of course, we still don't feel welcomed. We don't feel welcome when we're at tables and doing different things, you know, it's, it's, it's a crazy feeling. I mean, we're black, so this is the <laughs> world we live in. This is, we feel like this a lot of times, you know, but, um, and that's why when Bernard says, like, we want to let everybody know it's, yeah, come to treatment and also run your recovery home because you could do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, so we, and we changed the game of recovery housing in the Midwest, too, though. Like, we brought a lot of stuff to the table that a lot of people who've been doing it for 15, 25 years, who ain't, who haven't done, we just did a lot of stuff, though. And now they they starting to pay attention to it because... I don't know. I don't know. We, I don't know what the reason is, though. But we just like even with the consulting aspect, nobody wasn't doing it. And they was up. They was open to have recovery homes for 15, 20 years. They looking down on us because we see an opportunity. Now it's an opportunity. And we bring more people to this place. We bring in is more recovery homes. They open for individuals. You know, it's just a whole big thing. And but I what we see is that if it if it if it was somebody else who had more credentials or went to a certain school or who uh mm, might got so 20 crazy. years or something like that or yeah it, it, they because we didn't we're not addicts yeah, that's or alcohol, but it's like it affected us still yeah mm-hmm. so just because it's your way that don't mean that it's right though right mm-hmm. and you guys have the courage to like actually put yourself out there to vulnerability to like make these mistakes to take these risks like i commend that more than okay yeah you have a piece of paper or whatever but it's like right. well also, too, it goes back to, like, why are you doing this? You guys are doing this to help more people, you know, yeah. where if you're just trying to, like, want to protect your image and, like, keep it close and only help 10 people. It's like, well, then, you know. Right. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I, I I appreciate you guys sharing your uh, perspective. And I commend you guys on everything you're doing and who you guys are as people. Like, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you guys. I've, I've learned a lot and I've taken away a lot. Um, so with this being said, if um listeners want to connect with you guys support you further find out more about uh cbh where can you guys be found if they want to um move into a sober house or look at our sober houses or anything like that they go to centralvillagehousing.com if they want to uh, learn more about our e-course and purchase the e-course they go to cbhrecovery.com our social media instagram is cbh.recovery and facebook is cbhrecovery in our e-course, we'll show you how to open, manage, open, open operate, operate, and manage. manage your own recovery home in any city and state, including uh, Canada, too. Sweet. Yeah, I can imagine it's, it's maybe a bit similar as well. Yeah. 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 
Awesome. Well, honestly, Georgia Bernard, it was such a pleasure. And as always, I'll, I'll have your guys' links in the show notes too um, for everyone that didn't catch them. Um, but yeah, I just want to thank you guys for, for coming on The Curious One. Well, thank you, you for having us. I would like to take a moment to say a huge thank you once again to Bernard and Georgia for coming on The Curious One, sharing about their journey, and also for the work that they are doing within our communities. Additionally, as always, I need to take a moment to thank you, my listener, for your two most valuable resources, which is your time and your attention. As I mentioned back in episode 40, Johan Hari's work has really brought a lot of value to my life and really helped my understanding of mental health and addiction. The following quote I want to share with you is from one of his books that I highly recommend, which is Chasing the Screen. A sense of dislocation has been spreading through our societies like a bone cancer throughout the 20th century. We all feel it. We have become richer, but less connected to one another. Countless studies prove this is more than a hunch, but here's just one. The average number of close friends a person has has been steadily falling. We are increasingly alone, so we are increasingly addicted. The modern world has many incredible benefits, but it also brings with it a source of deep stress that is unique. Dislocation. Being automized and fragmented and all on your own, that's no part of human evolution and it's no part of the evolution of any society. We are all on this journey together, growing, evolving, and learning alongside one another. If you have any resources, information, or ideas you would like to share with me, feel free to send me an email over at thecuriousonepodcast at gmail.com, or you can send me a DM over on Instagram at at thecuriousonepodcast. If you would like to further this conversation and get in touch, visit my Instagram at thecuriousonepodcast. For more information, resources, and show notes, please head to thecuriousonepodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, be well.